welcome to Gateway Church Podcast. We're so glad you're here today. We pray God speaks to you through this message and through His Word. For more information about our church, follow us on social media or visit our website, gatewayhome.com. Now, let's tune in to this week's message. My message today is more of a message the Lord's been doing in my heart for probably a year now. Um, And it's a prophetic vision that happens in the Old Testament that I believe God wants to use to speak to each one of us today. And there's two reasons I need you to know on the front end. Yes, I know it's a prophetic vision and it did not happen in real life, as far as we know, at least. It did not happen in real life. But the reason I think there's so much that we can glean from it is A, because when God speaks, his, his word never returns void. So it is still living and active. And also he took the time to put it in the word of God so that we could glean truth from it. And so this is the prophetic vision that we are gonna dive into. We're gonna read the entire story, but I also wanna tell you up front that we're gonna stop throughout the passage. So all throughout, we're gonna read a couple verses, stop and grab some truths from it. It's gonna feel like you're on a road trip with children. You know how you have to stop like every couple of minutes, right, to use the restroom. So that's kind of, it may feel like that, but I promise you there's purpose in stopping so that we can gather all of the truth that we see in this passage. So let me start. It's in Ezekiel 37, chapter 37, verse one. The Lord took hold of me and I was carried away by the spirit of the Lord to a valley filled with bones. He led me all around among the bones that covered the valley floor. They were scattered everywhere across the ground and were completely dried out. So I want to stop right here for a second because at first I need you to see that God took Ezekiel to a valley and this valley was full of dry bones. These were not bones that had just died. These were bones that had been in that valley for a very long time. They were completely dismembered and without life. There was no life marrow left in them. They were totally without hope, you could say. They were completely dried out. And yet God brings him to this valley and it says he walks him around the valley. Now remember, it's a prophetic vision. But I just, I can't imagine how long it would have taken him to go around this valley but I know that God was purposeful in letting him see the big picture, to take him to get the full landscape of what he wanted him to see, the issue that was at hand. So he walks him around this valley, and here's the definition of a valley. It means a depression in the earth, often between mountains. It means to be deep. Now, I don't know what kind of definition of a valley you brought in here today, but most of the time, we think of a valley as a hard place a place where God has left us, a place where God has taken us to teach us a hard lesson, a place that maybe we feel like is punishment or training or whatever we wanna say, but we often don't view a valley as a good thing. And I have, I, I'm the type of girl that likes valleys when I'm on the mountaintop. Like I love me a good resort in the mountains where I can look over the valley and see the beauty of it And I I would love to go, you know what, God, you can do something mighty in that valley. You go for it, God, but just don't take me through the valley. You know, like I enjoy the mountaintop viewpoint of a valley. But the truth of the matter is that God is not only the God of the valleys, but he is also the God that takes us to the valleys. It is very easy for us to believe a lie that God is is over the mountains. He's the God of our mountains, but not of our valleys. We say it this way, God is over our good days, but not our bad days. 
He's the God of the good, but maybe not the bad. And we can fall prey to this lie. And here's what it says in 1 Kings 20, verse 28. It says, the man of God came up and told the king of Israel, this is what the Lord says. Because the Arameans think the Lord is a God of the hills and not a God of the valleys, I will deliver this vast army into your hands and you will know that I am the Lord. See, the Arameans or the Syrians, while they would acknowledge God and ascribe their defeat to him, they made a great mistake in understanding of his character because they assumed, they believed and confessed that God was a local God like their other imaginary gods their other man-made gods. See, in that time, they would have these man-made gods that were there for a season, there for a moment. This is my God for this season. This is my God for this moment, for this trial. And they would have this man-made God that would be in that. And they made the great mistake to assume that the living God was also like that. And they would put him in a box. And here's the truth. As a generation, we're not too far off from doing the same thing. See, we're not too far off from making a man-made God. And here's how we do it. We go to the word of God and we say, I need a God that is like this. Instead of going to the word of God and saying, God, who are you and how do I become like you? See, we all of a sudden want to make a God in our own image and in our own understanding instead of trying to figure out who he is and make ourselves into his image. And if we fall prey to this sin, we will actually do a great dishonor to God because we will not get to see him in his full characteristic. We will not get to understand who he truly is. If you put God in a box, you will miss out on the God who can actually change you. You will miss out on the power that is in God. Listen, a man-made God cannot help you. It is only something to soothe you in a moment's notice, but there is a living and active God that wants to actually go through life with you and fight on your behalf. So we cannot fall into the same mistake that they did. All this to say, he, you have to understand that he is not just the God of your mountains. He is the God of your valleys. And even so, he is not just the God of the valleys. He's the God that will lead you to the valleys and through them. And when we understand this, we will actually be willing to go through. What's the difference between a wilderness and a valley? Well, see, a wilderness is a dry and barren place, while a valley is a wet and fruitful place. See, a valley is a pass-through. Here's what it says in Psalms 23, 4. Even when I walk through the darkest valley, I will not be afraid, for you are close beside me. Your rod and your staff, they protect and comfort me. Notice it says walk through. Valleys are meant to be a pass through. Do you remember the Israelites? They found themselves in a wilderness. Here's what I personally believe. I believe their wilderness was meant to be a valley. It was actually meant to be a pass-through place from one destination to the next, and yet they turned it into a wilderness because of their complaining and their grumbling. See, they were willing to settle for manna, and that was the only thing that was actually meant to satisfy, or, yeah, satisfy them, but not to sustain them. They were actually never meant to camp out in the wilderness. They were always meant to travel through, and the problem is their complaining gave them the opportunity to settle and not see God fully move through them. And the truth is you and I could do the same. The benefit of a valley is though that you have a shepherd who will walk through it with you. And it says that your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Listen, a good shepherd will lead the sheep, not abuse the sheep. 
It is not here to beat you with the staff. It is here to protect you with his staff and to draw you in close. He loves you enough to care for you and to lead you through the valley. You are not alone in this season. The reason the valley is a gift is because he is with you. My daughter, uh, she's 10 now, but when she was about three years old, she was so eloquent with her words. And to be honest, she was a little bit sassy, which I don't know where she gets it from because neither Ethan or I are sassy in any way, shape or form. And so we're all shocked by her attitude, honestly. But when she was about three years old, I was having just one of those hard parenting days. All the parents in the house will understand this. It was just one of those days where I felt like I was constantly correcting and telling her no and redirecting and all the things. And so I had this bright idea that if I could just pull her in close, I could explain to her that mommy doesn't really enjoy these hard mommy days. Like if we could just make an agreement that she would obey and listen and honor mommy and daddy, we could have a great day. And to be honest, I gave her the world's best speech, or so I thought. I mean, I just, I pulled her, I was like, Addie, baby, you got to understand, mommy doesn't like telling you no. I don't love to go through all these disciplined moments. And so if you would just make a choice to listen and obey mommy, we could have a wonderful day together. I really did think our hearts are bonded. She understood every word I said. I was proud of myself until she looked me dead in the eyes and she said, mommy, quit complaining. She's doing much better now. She has a lot less sass. I'm just kidding. But anyways, what complaining does is it causes us to stay instead of go where he has called us to go. We're gonna have to let go of our complaining. Let's continue in Ezekiel 37 verse three. Then he asked me, son of man, can these bones become living people again? Oh, sovereign Lord, I replied, you alone know the answer to that. See, I personally believe he was asking a question, but he was looking for something else. All my married friends will understand this. A simple question like, how was your day, does not mean how was your day and just say good or bad, especially if it's coming from a woman. We want to know the play-by-play. We want to know who you talk to, what they say, how, what were they wearing, all the questions. If a guy asks you how's your day, they want to know good or bad. That's it. Like they just need to know the bottom line, Right? But they're asking a question in hopes to get a different answer, right? Here's what's happening. God is asking Ezekiel a question, but what he's really asking him is, where is your faith? Is it in what you see or is it in what you know about me? Is it in the fact that you are looking at an impossible situation in the natural or are you able to see it in the spiritual realm to go, yes, it looks impossible in the natural, but I know a God that can work through the impossible. So he's asking Ezekiel, where is your faith? And then Ezekiel makes this statement, oh God, only you know. If you want it to happen, it'll happen. And I believe in that moment, God saw a heart that he could work through. He saw a posture of a heart that he could say, I could do a miracle through him. I believe it's the same heart he wants to work through in us. He's asking, do you realize who is actually in control of this situation? Do you know who is sitting on the throne of this situation? And if you do, then you will trust and say, God, if you want it, you will make it happen, even if I don't understand how. And so Ezekiel expressed this heart that God could work with. And you have to understand that in this moment, this season or this valley, so to say, was one that had had a message of judgment for many years. And now all of the sudden, God was bringing in a new voice to bring a new message of hope into this situation. The bones contextually represent the exiles who have given up on any hope 
They are totally burned out. They are tired and they are without hope. And so all of a sudden, a new message is about to come forth. Let's read it starting in verse four. He says, then he said to me, speak a prophetic message to these bones and say, dry bones, listen to the word of the Lord. Not the word of culture, by the way, the word of the Lord. For this is what the sovereign Lord says. Look, I am going to put breath into you and make you live again. I will put flesh and muscle on you and cover you with skin. I will put breath into you and you will come to life. Then you will know that I am the Lord. So I spoke this message just as he told me. Suddenly, as I spoke, there was a rattling noise all across the valley. The bones of each body came together and attached themselves as complete skeletons. Did you know there is an average of 206 bones in the human body? So let's just for a second, I know there was more than one body in this valley, but just for a second, can you imagine 206 bones that are scattered across a pasture, let's say the size of this room, all of a sudden beginning to rattle and come together to create a skeleton. Now, your faith is probably higher than mine, but in that moment, my faith would have been stirred. I would have been like, man, God, I see you. You're the God who organizes. You're the God that pulls it all together. You're the God that can do it. I get what you're trying to do and I see it and I can follow that. Yes, God, this is good. And I would have been like, we can step out of this vision now. All right, I'm gonna go do something for God. He says, oh, friend, I don't settle for organized bones. See, I don't, I don't settle for just a skeleton. And he keeps going. And he says to them, I'm going to keep going in this. He says, then as I watched, muscles and flesh formed over the bones. The skin formed to cover their bodies, but they still had no breath in them. See, studies show that there are over 600 muscles in a body. Now, I know some of you have more than 600. We've seen them. Y'all are doing a great job working out. But me, I have 600. And then the rest of us, we have approximately 4,000 tendons in our body. Now, just go back to remembering just one, just one body. I don't know. Maybe, again, your faith is higher than mine, but my faith would have really been stirred. To watch a skeleton be wrapped with muscles and tendons and then wrapped with flesh. And the thing is that I would have been like, God, I see it. You are the God who can create. You are the God that can do something with nothing. Like, you are the God who can do it. This is great. Thanks for this encouragement. And I would have walked away. And he says, oh, no, 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 friend. I don't settle for organized bodies. He says they're missing the most important thing. And so he goes on in the story and he says, so he said to me, speak a prophetic message to the winds. Son of man, speak a prophetic message and say, this is what the sovereign Lord says. Come, O breath from the four winds, breathe into these dead bodies so they may live again. So I spoke the message as he commanded me and the breath came into their bodies. They all came to life and they stood up on their feet, a great army. Listen, they were missing one thing and it was the breath of God. I have a real big concern for our generation. By the way, a generation is that in one which you live. I know culturally we define it in a million different ways, but scripturally it means from the oldest person alive today to the youngest person alive today, this is our generation. So when I say I have a great concern for the generation, I mean every single one of us. And my great concern is that we are choosing to settle for organized bodies and forgetting the breath of God. I need you to know 
that as a church, we're not okay with organized bodies. We refuse to settle for organized bodies. We are not after filling this room. We are after filling people with the breath of God so that they can do a mighty work for him. We're not gonna give up. We're not gonna settle. We want you to have the purpose of God in your life and the breath of God to fill you. And you need to notice something right here. When the breath of God filled them, they stood up. See, my other concern for our generation is that I think that we have a generation sitting down. We want God to put on a show for us. We want him to show off his might. We want him to do something for us. And the problem with that is that's not who he called us to be. See, he called us to stand up. When God does a mighty work in you, it is not time to shy back or to go quiet in your workplace. It is time for you to stand strong and declare and testify what he has done. We need to stand up, stand your guard. Ephesians 6 verse 13 says, then after the battle, you will be standing firm. So stand your guard. Listen, he has already done a mighty work in your life by dying on a cross for you and loving you unconditionally. So friend, it is time that you stand up. Stand up for the mighty work he's done in your life. Don't shy back. Begin to tell somebody about him. Begin to do something for him. Go ahead and rise up as the mighty army that he has called for you to be. So why, why in the world would God give him this vision? Well, here's what it says in verse 11. Then he said to me, son of man, these bones represent the people of Israel. They are saying we have become old, dry bones. All hope is gone. Our nation is finished. Therefore, prophesy to them and say, this is what the sovereign Lord says. Oh, my people, I will open your graves of exile and cause you to rise again. Then I will bring you back to the land of Israel. And when this happens, oh, my people, you will know that I am the Lord. I will put my spirit in you and you will live again and return home to your own land. Then you will know that I, the Lord, have spoken and I have done what I said. Yes, the Lord has spoken. So you have to understand that this vision was a fulfillment of a promise. In Ezekiel 36, God made a promise that Israel would, that he would gather them up from all over the nation and that they would live again. And what he's saying, whenever he says, I will gather them all up, Yes, he's talking geographically, but he is also talking spiritually because you have to understand that they had been driven out. And so what he is saying to them is that I will be the God that returns to you what has been taken. I will be the God that redeems what has been stolen. I will be the God that renews you and refreshes you so that you can be the mighty armory that God has called you to be. And guess what? It's what he's saying to you today. I don't know what was stolen or taken from you, whether rightfully or wrongfully, but here's what I know, that he is the God that will return to you what has been taken. He is the God that will redeem what was stolen. He is the God that will renew and refresh you so that you can rise up to be the mighty army of God that he's called you to be. And then listen, at the very end of this passage, he says, I, the Lord, have spoken. I need to make this very clear because no matter the situation, you have to understand that God will always have the final say. I don't care what you're facing today. God will always have the final say. 
My kids are in a season right now that they love telling jokes. They just, they, this is our family dinner table. We all sit around, we bought them books. And so they all get to go around and say a joke and whole family fake laughs. And so it's super fun. And as we eat our delicious Sonic and we are just, we're killing it in the family life. Okay. But there's a joke that they told me the other day. I thought I would tell it to y'all. Um, okay. So here's my joke. What did the green grape say to the purple grape? Stop holding your breath. Ask your neighbor if you don't get it. It's okay. So did you know that that really didn't have anything to do with my sermon, but did you know that a heart cannot live without oxygen for more than five minutes? So what was happening when God breathed life back into these bodies? He was turning their heart on. He was giving them a singleness of heart. He was giving them a focus. He was giving them purpose. Here's what Ezekiel eleven nineteen 19 says. And I will give them singleness of heart and put a new spirit within them. I will take away their stony, stubborn heart and give them a tender, responsive heart. Listen, he is telling you that he is turning on their hearts. When God breathes fresh into you, he turns on your heart and gives you purpose. He lights you up on the inside so you have a reason to keep going. And so here's what's happening. He's breathing into them with the winds from all four corners of the earth. What are the winds from all four corners of the earth? Glad you asked. Revelation 7. Then I saw four angels standing at the four corners of the earth, holding back four winds so that they did not blow on the earth or the sea or even on any tree. I saw another angel coming up from the east carrying the seal of the living God. And he shouted to those four angels who had been given power to harm land and sea. And he said, wait, don't harm the land or the sea or the trees until we have placed the seal of God on the foreheads of his servants. And I heard how many were marked with the seal of God. 144,000 were sealed from all the tribes of Israel. Now go back to our prophetic vision. Remember, this is about Israel. And the reason I show you these things is because a lot of commentaries would say that these two passages correlate and they actually parallel next to each other. The reason I tell you that is because this valley is not just one body. It didn't represent one body. It didn't represent 10 or even a thousand. It represented 144,000 bodies. That's over 29 million bones that began to rattle. I tell you all of this about a prophetic vision because I never, ever, 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 ever want you to believe the lie that your valley, valley is too big for God. There's not a valley that he can't step into and redeem. There's not a valley that he can't do a mighty work in. Listen, never let the enemy tell you that your valley or your mess is too big for him. It is the perfect size for him to do a miracle through. So why did he raise up an army? Why did he fill him with the breath of God and say, now stand up and be the army of God? Well, the next prophetic vision that Ezekiel gives is about the reunion between Israel and Judah. And he tells him, I need you to take a piece of wood and inscribe in it Judah and take another piece of wood and inscribe it Ephraim. And then he said, join the two in your hand that they will become one and they will never be separated again. See, Judah represented worship and Ephraim means to be fruitful or to produce fruit. Most commentaries would say that it means evangelism, to produce fruit in one's life. 
And so he raises up an army and he says, I'm going to put at the forefront of this army pure worship that produces fruit. And he says, I need you to understand that I'm gonna grab what's from the south and what's from the north and I'm gonna join them together. And as long as these are at the forefront, they will not be stopped. Because here's what you have to understand. What was insignificant in a nation's hand became very significant in God's hand. What is insignificant in your hand will become very significant in his hand. And if you don't understand why you were created on earth, here's why. It is to have pure worship for God with an evangelistic heart and tell others about him. And as long as these are at the forefront of your battle, you will always be victorious. This is what he has joined together to do a mighty work in and through you. He wants you to be one that is full of worship and honor for his name and to stand tall and tell others about him. The reason I tell you a whole prophetic vision like this that was told many, many years ago was because this prophetic vision is about us today. It's about me. See, I found myself in a valley and all of my bones were completely dried out and dismembered. They were totally without hope. And yet the God of the universe who loved me enough stepped into my valley and said, I can organize all the mess that you have made. I can put it all back together, but it won't be enough until I put my spirit in you and I will raise you up to be a mighty army for me. Can I tell you he's ready to do the same in your life? I don't know what valley you have found yourself in, but I know a God who takes you through it and does something mighty in it. Here's what Titus 3 verse 4 says, but when God our Savior revealed his kindness and love, he saved us, not because of the righteous things we had done, but because of his mercy. He washed away our sins, giving us a new birth and new life through the Holy Spirit. He generously poured out the Spirit upon us through Jesus Christ our Savior. Charles Spurgeon says it this way, it is the gracious word of God that he would come to our grave, open the door and bring life to our souls. See, it is by the grace of God that we are no longer dead, but we are alive in Christ and not just alive, but we are also equipped and ready to be the army that God has called us to be. So let me ask you this question. Are you equipped and ready for God to fulfill his promise through you? even if it doesn't go like you thought it would, even if it doesn't play out exactly how you hoped it would, are you equipped and ready for God to fulfill his promise in and through you? I read this quote, I wanna read it to you. It says, Christ has no body now, but yours. No hands, no feet on earth, but yours. Yours are the eyes through which Christ looks compassion into the world. Yours are the feet with which Christ walks to do good. And yours are the hands with which Christ blesses the world. Friends, you are his method now. You are who he placed on this earth to fulfill a promise to go forward with worship and prayer and evangelism and to reach the community around you. You are set apart by God to be an army for his behalf to do a mighty work in our area. He needs you and he wants you. You are his method now. So are you equipped and ready to do whatever he wants to do through you, even if it doesn't look like you think it should? It's what happened in Joseph's life. Joseph got a word at a young age about his future. He was so excited about it. He thought everybody would be excited about it. So he gathered his brothers. He said, you're never gonna guess what God told me. He was right. They were never gonna guess it. And so all of a sudden, I think he thought, I'm gonna get some friends and some prayer warriors and we're all gonna be in this together. And instead they hated him. 
And that kick started a road of curveballs. And in that moment, he was thrown into a pit. He was sold into slavery. He became a servant in the palace, which I'm sure he thought, I'm so close, yet still so far away. He was convicted for sleeping with the queen, which he didn't, by the way. He was sent to prison. He was forgotten. And years later, the fulfillment of the promise finally came. And yet, what did he say at the very end of it all? Is in Genesis 50, verse 20. It says, you intended to harm me, but God intended it all for good. He brought me to this position so I could save the lives of many. In essence, what he was saying is what was happening in the natural did not look good, but in God's eyes, it was all under control. He was taking care of it. I don't know how many detours you feel like your life has gone on. I don't know if you feel like you're totally off course. Here's what I know. God is still on the throne, and if you will keep walking, he will use you in a mighty way. You go back to Ezekiel when he's in the valley of the dry bones. Remember, he walked in as one single man with God. But how did he walk out of that valley? With an army fully, fully equipped to work, to work with him. He didn't walk out alone. He walked out with a group of people that was with him. Can I tell you that the valley that you feel like you are in alone right now, this may be the very valley that equips you for your next mountain. This valley is a good place. It is full of fruit. It is full of nourishment. And it will take you to the next place that he wants to lead you if you will just keep walking through. Don't let the detour stop you. There's a man named John Wesley. He was a theologian and an evangelist who led, who was a leader of a revival movement. His life impacted so many. It's still impacting lives today, even though he passed away in March of 1791. But here's a clip from his diary, and this shows the life of detours, okay? So on Sunday, Monday, uh, Sunday morning, May 5th, he preached at St. Anne's and was asked not to come back anymore. Sunday night, May 5th, preached at St. John's. Deacon said, get out and stay out. Sunday morning, May 12th, he preached at St. Jude's. Can't go back there either. Sunday morning, May 19th, preached at St. Somebody Else's. Deacons called a special meeting and said I couldn't return. Sunday night, May 19th, preached on the street, kicked off the street. Sunday morning, May 26th, preached in a meadow, had to get chased out by a bull, so that service was over too. Sunday morning, June 2nd, preached at the edge of town and kicked off the highway. Sunday night, June 2nd, preached in a pasture and 10,000 people came out to hear me. What you see there is a faithfulness of a man that wasn't going to stop because of a detour. Listen, I know that the valley is hard. I know that you may feel like you are without hope, but the valley is the very thing that's going to equip you for your next mountain. It is for your good. He loves you enough to lead you through it. You are not going through it alone. So don't turn this valley into a wilderness because you're willing to settle for manna or organized bones. Go all the way till the end because there is something good in it for you. He has a gift for it with you. And guess what? You are not alone in the valley. I feel so strongly that I came to encourage some of us today. That your dry bones, your season, I don't know what it is, if it's a season in your business, a season in your marriage with a child, or a season at your school, but you feel like you have come upon a valley and you just feel dry, dismembered, and without hope. 
And I came to tell you that the same God that stepped into my valley will step into your valley. The same God that stepped into this prophetic vision and said, I will do a mighty work will be the same God that comes in and does a mighty work in you. So don't give up. He is fighting for you and he is equipping you to fulfill his promises through you. I'm gonna ask you to bow your heads and close your eyes. We're gonna close out our service a little bit different than we normally do. But I wanna take a moment because I truly believe there are many in this room that need a fresh wind of God. You feel desperate for God to move in a situation. It feels dry, it feels broken. It feels like it's just missing something. And it just felt so strongly in my heart that in the same way that God told Ezekiel to prophesy over that space, that we were supposed to prophesy today that the breath of God would come and fill you and strengthen you. And so I'm gonna ask you to do something. Whether you're in Magnolia, or you're watching online, or you're here in Katy, I'm gonna ask that if you just need a fresh wind from God, that you would just stand up right where you are. And we're gonna pray and we're gonna prophesy a fresh wind to come over you. So if you just stand, maybe in your living room, you could just stand. Wherever you are, stand and stand in faith that you will be the strong army and God will do something through you. God, I thank you that you are the God of the valleys and the mountaintops. God, I thank you that you know every situation that's represented. And Lord, we stand out of faith that this value will be used for your good and your glory. It will produce fruit in our lives and in those around us. Lord, you understand what is happening in all the situations. And Lord, I thank you that you're reminding us right now that we are not alone, that you're the same God that brought us to this valley and you will bring us through this valley. But God, right now, I just feel that we are to prophesy the breath of God to come over these people. Lord, I pray right now that you would fill your people with the breath of God. Lord, I pray for whatever season in them is dry right now, that you would produce fruit out of it and that your spirit would come and fill them up, that it would strengthen them in the name of Jesus. Lord, I pray that you would begin to strengthen their core, that they would be able to stand strong in the midst of trials and temptations, Lord. Lord, I pray right now that you would begin to just blow over them a fresh wind. Lord, that the dry bones would come to life. Lord, I speak that they would come to life in the name of Jesus. Lord, I pray for those stony hearts right now that maybe a mother or a father is standing on behalf of a child. Lord, I pray for that stony heart that it would soften in the name of Jesus. We pray that your spirit would capture them, that it would soften their heart and that you would fill them with the breath of God. Lord, we're not okay with organized bones. We are not gonna stop when you're not done. So God, we will go all the way. Lord, I pray right now that you would give us strength to keep walking. Lord, I pray for the marriages that feel like they are dry and broken and dismembered, that you would begin to tie them together, that you would begin to wrap your presence around them and that you would begin to tighten that three-strand cord, that it would be a braid that is not easily broken, but Lord, that this would be something that you blow a fresh wind into that marriage, that you breathe life into that marriage right now, that you would draw their hearts back together in the name of Jesus. Lord, I pray for the wayward child that they would come home in the name of Jesus. Lord, we declare right now that the any... Um, 
demonic or stronghold that is over this generation. We break it off in the name of Jesus. All anxiety or depression that makes us wanna stop in this valley, we will not turn it into a wilderness. We will keep walking and we will not give up in the name of Jesus. Lord, I declare right now any stronghold that is over our businesses or our finances will be broken in the name of Jesus. Lord, we declare that any stronghold over our bodies, Lord, I ask that you would reorganize them. Anything that is out of alignment in our bodies that need healing, that you would reorganize it and that you would breathe a fresh wind into them. Lord, I pray that the doctors would have clarity on what is next, on whatever situation that it is. Lord, we declare right now that there will be total healing in that body in the name of Jesus. Lord, right now, I ask that you would just fill your people with your breath. You would fill them with your strength, Lord, that you would go before them, that you would stand beside them and you would guard them from behind, that no weapon formed against them would prosper. Then Lord, I thank you that we will not stop short. We will not put you in the box, that you are the miracle working God. And so right now, God, we prophesy in the name of Jesus, breathe, bring back life in the name of Jesus. Life over our community, life over our city, life over our schools, our businesses, our families, over our nation, over our world. In the name of Jesus, come and breathe a fresh wind. Fill us up with your spirit in the name of Jesus. Amen and amen. Thanks for joining us today. If you live in the Houston area or are in town for a visit, we would like to invite you to join us for a service. For service times and location or more information about Gateway Church, follow us on social media or visit our website, gatewayhome.com. Have a blessed week.